Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest has been in the news as one of the most innovative general counsels in the market today. We're excited to feature him as our first general counsel in our Executing Change series. EVP, General Counsel, and Secretary of DXC Technology, Bill Deckelman. Welcome to Left Foot. Oh, thank you very much, Nicole. It's great to be with you. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Bill. Let's jump right into our questions. Bill, you and your team are being recognized for the significant change executed within your department, specifically the rebadging of many of your professional staff. Can you set the stage for our listeners about why DXC made that change? What was the environment that led to that change? DXC came about as a merger in 2017 of Computer Sciences Corporation on the one hand, and the Enterprise Services Division of HPE. On the other hand, these two companies were put together as of April 1st, 2017, and we were taking two very large IT services companies and putting them together. So as part of that, you know, it was to be expected that you would have quite a bit of redundancy and cost from putting the two companies together that needed to come out to really drive a a lean organization going forward. As part of the merger itself, we had targets that we were being asked to meet in terms of cost takeout. But interestingly, really the challenge in addition to that was that the IT services industry was going through an inflection point. We were moving more and more into a cloud-driven environment which meant that our contracts with our customers were no longer as often the big long-term IT outsourcing contracts that could take very long periods of time to negotiate to smaller, more flexible contracts for cloud computing and other next-generation technology. So the challenge we had was to change the way we supported and negotiated those contracts But also the volume of those contracts has gone up and is much higher than what we were dealing with before. So we had several different challenges going on at the same time we were doing the merger. So made for quite an interesting time. No, it sounds like it. And definitely that pain of change really did change with cloud computing and a lot of the changes going on. Where previously contracts were what I recall from my outsourcing days in the BPO side, you know, five, seven five, seven years, even longer in some cases. And today, you know, that's, that's unheard of. Yes. You had some targets you were looking to achieve, assuming those targets were efficiency targets and, and definitely had a value or cost associated with them. Could you share those with our listeners? Sure can. On the financial side, we had very clear targets. Of course, as part of the merger, the company as a whole had communicated publicly to investors how much we intended to take out of the entire company and the operations. And of course, legal being a part of that, we were given our targets as well to reduce our internal costs by 30% and to reduce our outside legal spend by 20%. So those were very clear financial targets we knew we had to meet. The other targets, and really kind of more interesting for the long term, is 
For us, you know, we knew what was really driving a lot of this for us is speed to market. And could we accelerate the time it takes for us to negotiate and conclude contracts with our customers? Those metrics we're developing now as we're in our second year of this transaction, really to develop the data and the data analytics around that to inform us how we can improve in that regard as well. And that's where it really gets interesting is to see the business value that comes you know, from that kind of change as opposed to, you know, one-time cost takeout. Now you're looking at the data, you're analyzing the data, and I'm assuming any new changes in the way you're contracting that you look at it from a data perspective. So IT outsourcing is something that's been around for a long time. Had there been outsourcing in the legal department at DXC or in the, obviously, the two organizations that came together? Was outsourcing something that the in-house legal department had embraced previously? You know, not so much. We had done, I think, what a lot of others had done on a small scale. Electronic discovery, for example, we had outsourced you know, here in the U.S., but nothing of the scale that we were looking at doing here. Having said that, it was interesting because, I mean, I personally have been involved in this industry for most of my career, and certainly the company and the companies that we put together to form DXC, this is what we do. We do this for our customers every day. And so it was interesting to really kind of flip that and to say, well, if it's good enough for our customers, it certainly should be good enough here. The difference was, of course, we're dealing with legal and contracts, and it just had never really been done at scale before. So we really had to think it through and, you know, finally conclude that for really a lot of reasons, it made sense to do this. In retrospect, it was the right decision. And we're now going into our second year and and feeling really good about the course that we're on. This leads to a lot of questions. I can imagine I'm a lawyer. I'm working at in-house legal at HP. We're now going to have this coming together of two companies. That is a questioning time. But then, of course, to hear that there's going to be this rebadging going on. You know, what was the most surprising type of reaction or response from your professionals as you started to execute it? What was surprising about that process? You know, I don't know that there was anything necessarily surprising. There were so many compelling reasons to do this and including benefits for the individual themselves as well. And the better we got at articulating those benefits and frankly, understanding them ourselves, coming to a well-rounded description of what we were doing and why. It's interesting because there was a definite turning point where, especially among the leadership, it clicked and people understood, you know, why are we doing this and what's in it for me as an individual? And it just started to make a lot of sense. We spent a lot of time upfront planning our communications rollout to our organization. Our teams had an opportunity to ask all the questions they wanted to ask and all those kinds of things that you do. And so that really went a long way toward people getting comfortable. For the individuals, you know, what I really stressed from the beginning was that where, and I hope we come back to this later in this discussion, is that where the industry and where business in general is headed, call it the 2020s, you know, with technology advancing like it is, things are going to change. And the way lawyers work and the way contracting professionals work 
is going to change and it's going to be technology driven. An individual to have an opportunity to work with a firm like United Lex, which is very focused on that. They've made the investment. They're willing to make more investment in the technology and they have the process discipline. They have all these processes and tools and the right frame of mind to move into that next kind of generation of where we're headed. That's where individuals from a career perspective, especially if they're doing transactions and contracts, uh, especially in the IT services business, they need to be on the cutting edge of that for their own careers. And that's what this allowed as an opportunity. It opened the door for our people to take full advantage of that. And I was very supportive of that and very pleased to see our people get on board with United Lex and take advantage. You know, also, in return to DXC, that gives us, you know, people who are very happy with their careers, who want to work hard for us, who know the best practices and who are cutting edge. And so we're getting the best of both worlds. And that attitude and approach really, once we were able to articulate that and people really started to get that, made a huge difference in the transition to the new model. No, that's fantastic. Communication, which is so critical when you're making a change like this, and that point that you made about this is the direction it's going. And so the opportunity to join an organization and still work in many cases for DXC, but to be part of an organization that's made those investments and that will continue to make those investments because they can and they service multiple customers. It's interesting, Bill. As a GC, you saw the value of partnering with an organization who had made those investments and will continue to do so. And then hopefully the lawyers that were transitioned saw that value. And I think you did a lot as a leader to communicate that. You know, it's just interesting. And I say this quite a bit is that corporate internal legal organizations really struggle inside their companies to get to the top of the list for investment for technology platforms and contract management systems. We do get some because, you know, the investment that the company is going to make, of course, is on who's generating revenue, financial systems, all those kinds of systems that you absolutely have to have on the front end to drive the business. But when it comes to legal, unfortunately, you know, we're usually more towards the bottom of the list. Not because we're not valued, but it's just a matter of limited resources and priorities. And that's why I think that's going to become more and more a pressure point in the coming years for companies in general who are moving towards the digital technology and they have to invest. You touched on it. You're going back to your CFO and you're saying this is where I think we should go from a legal perspective, from a contracting perspective. These will be the benefits and this will be the efficiency and cost structure changes. You know, you were really selling the value of it to your associates on the executive team. What did that conversation look like and were there objections or concerns about risk when you presented this solution to your associates? There was, and it's natural that that question would come up and we'd have that discussion. You know, we were confident that we had it structured in a way that we could deal with the risk adequately. I mean, that's a given. You've got to do that. So we were convinced of that. I think where the business really struggled the most 
was just this kind of human nature thing about change. We were so accustomed. The salespeople love having their lawyer, their contracting professional right next to them, ready to answer every question to be right there for them. Under this model, things are going to start changing. It's going to be a little more virtual, sometimes more remote support, that sort of thing. And we really had to get them comfortable that the support would be there. It might be on the telephone rather than, you know, sitting next to you in your office, but it's going to be there and it's going to be adequate to support what you're trying to do. That was what the business struggled with. Fortunately, uh, as we got into it, certainly after the first year, we looked back and I have to tell you, we just could not have been more pleased. I tell people I had not one single phone call the entire year from anyone complaining or concerned that they weren't getting the support they needed. There were no hiccups in the transition. It was interesting because as we were in the integration planning stage of all this, and I had the conversation with our CEO, Mike Laurie, who's been in the outsourcing business for quite some time, I will tell you that I had this conversation and I don't think I was more than 10 seconds in before he started shaking his head. Yes, he certainly understood it very quickly and was very supportive. That made a huge difference to know that we had the CEO supporting us and, you know, his confidence that we could do this. That that was huge. Without that, it would have been very difficult, I think, to convince the business that it was going to be a good thing. And of course, back to the point of this is the industry you've been in. It's part of what your team is talking to customers and prospective customers about. And now a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com backslash left foot and download a free title to start listening. That's audibletrial.com backslash left foot. You brought this up earlier in our conversation, dealing with change. And we talked about it in the context of the other leaders within the organization, and of course, the sales team members who are so used to having their local resources. There's this reputation that lawyers are not the best in dealing with change. And and of course, incorporating technology into their world and looking at different ways of accounting for their time than they have in the past, having to see more value from the work that they're doing and really defend that the work that they're doing by showing that it has value. Do you agree with that premise that lawyers probably struggle more than others with change? And, you know, as you were implementing all this change, was there anything that you think was somewhat unique about how you communicated the change that was going to occur? That's a great question. I would have to say I would agree to a point that perhaps the legal profession accepting change is a little more difficult. If you just look at the changes that have happened in business in general versus in the legal profession over the last few decades, you can see it just hasn't changed that much. But some of that, I think, is justified in the sense that we are dealing with risk. It does come down to a professional judgment, and there definitely is a tendency that we have to be careful about with lawyers, and that is the list is almost endless in terms of if you ask me to go look for risk, I can find risk all day long. I can think day and night about how to address the risk. In business, as an in-house attorney, 
You really have to take into consideration the business value of what you're doing and the context. And that's not to say you shortcut risk mitigation or identification at all, but you've got to be efficient. Technology is going to enable us to work more efficiently, but we're never going to lose that need for good professional judgment about how far do you go in addressing risk and then how good are you at identifying risk. Those things have to happen in our world. Moving the needle on business value is what it's all about once you've covered the risk. In terms of how we dealt with it, it all comes back to the fundamentals of making sure that you've got a clear vision about where you're headed and you're sharing that, you're involving the team and developing the plan to get there. And as I mentioned earlier, you're articulating the benefits to them. This is why we're doing it. This is why it's good for you. This is why it's good for the company. Yes, there are risks and here are challenges. Let's identify and acknowledge those, but let's make a plan. And then it's all about the discipline to execute against that plan. You're going to have some naysayers. You're going to have challenges. As I look back now, it's been 18 months. And just to see the progress that we've made, you know, I certainly learned things that I had not realized I was going to learn along the way. But if you're flexible, you adjust to that and you're transparent with your teams. It's really a a gratifying experience. Most people get on board and some decide this is not for them and you certainly wish them the best. And I, I just couldn't be more pleased with the way it's all played out. Yeah, fantastic. The point about having the clear vision and then communicating what the experience is going to be like, not only to the business stakeholders, but also to the lawyers that are being personally affected. The fact that you were very clear on why they should look at it as an opportunity and you were very clear about it versus them having to interpret what was going on. We talked about data just briefly at the beginning. I've read a lot of articles where you've been quoted on really kind of what's next and what's going on in the industry. If you could share with me, with our listeners, from your view, having taken this major step for your organization, what do you see in the market that is next? What is the next area that in-house legal departments are starting to look at, should be looking at? What's next as far as continuing to make your department more efficient and more effective? And I'll be the first to say I'm not going to predict time. Who knows when these things actually happen? There's so many variables that affect it. But I am pretty confident about where things are going. And of course, here again, with our business, we see it every day with our customers on the commercial side and even public sector as well. It's all driven by this digital transformation. We're going to see some real changes and lawyers and legal professionals. At some point, they will have to change. The business will demand it. And it's going to be driven by, we're seeing already, of course, the early days of artificial intelligence and data analytics. If you look at collaboration tools, the way we work day to day, that is progressing very nicely. And there's a lot of good technology out there. And what's happening, the way people want to work and the way technology is going to allow us to crowdsource and to put out to very large professional base of workers who are not W-2 employees of the company, but who are part of our network and very responsive work coming out of that network. That's the way a lot of people are going to be working in the future. And the technology will be there to make that happen. If I could make one point very strongly, 
is in the idea of digital transformation. It's not really about the technology. I mean, that's going to be great and that's going to enable a lot of these things. But as I've learned over the last year and a half, it's more about the people. It's preparing them for opening their minds to a different way of working. It's opening their minds to understanding to some extent the technology, what expertise and skills do they need to anticipate and deal with this technology that's coming. All of those things do not happen overnight. You may be able to leapfrog technology, but if you wait until 2025 to kind of wake up and say, okay, I want to be digital, you're not going to have your people in a position where they're prepared for that. And the culture and all those things that go into that just will not be there. Bill, thank you for sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? In terms of the future, I look at my career and I think, gosh, I wish I had another 20 or 30 years of this because it's going to be so interesting for so many. For those who are more experienced and maybe toward, more toward the end of their careers, they too, you know, they've got to step up and they've got to be helping that younger generation come up. And it's just an interesting time for everyone who's involved in this, but you just cannot sit back. There is so much out there to be reading and learning and That's what it takes in today's world, uh, no doubt about it. Absolutely agree. Bill, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.